What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rose, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Kentucky Daily. We've got a little doubleheader type for you tonight. We'll be talking a little football and basketball. And as always, I am joined by Sean Smith, uh, a, a kind of a rambling man, Sean, on the road again. <laughs> I'm, I'm always on the road, it seems like, Derek. Uh, now it's that it's kind of hard to believe we're here at another holiday, getting ready for Christmas time. But uh, Kentucky, Kentucky got got us some big, big Christmas news tonight, you know, that they're going to a bowl game, Derek, and it's another good bowl appearance. It is, yeah. I got the news tonight that Kentucky has accepted a bid to the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. Um, if that sounds familiar, it's because Kentucky's been to that bowl once in the Mark Stoops era. They accepted a bid there back in 2016, the first year under Mark Stoops that Kentucky made a bowl. They lost to Georgia Tech that day. Some of the comments tonight from uh, both Mark Stoops and the players suggested that uh, – they're hoping to leave with a with a win this year, as always, and they'll be playing NC State, a pretty good opponent, really, for a four and six Kentucky team. NC State's eight and three; they won seven games in the ACC. So this will be a good opportunity uh, for Kentucky. Sean, I don't expect you to know very much about NC State yet. I don't know a whole lot about the uh, about the Wolfpack either this year's team. But what are just your thoughts in general on Kentucky uh, after the season that it had, still ending up in a uh, not a hugely prestigious bowl game, but at the same time, it is a Florida bowl game, and that carries some kind of weight, doesn't it? It, it does, and it, to me, it just goes to show you that you throw out records a lot when it comes to a year like this. I mean, clearly, I mean, there was some talk about when it come down to Kentucky and Ole Miss for the Outback Bowl or something mm-hmm. like that. So, I mean, you look at the records: Kentucky four and six, NC State eight and three. Those two, when you look at those two things, you don't see bowl games. Uh, when it comes to those two records, but it's another opportunity. It's kind of hard to believe, Derek, that it's been four years and now five bowl games since that first one in Jacksonville. Yeah, that was um, definitely a different time in the Stoops here. I- I'll say it's one of the most forgettable bowls that I'd say in Kentucky football history just because it felt like the big win that year was just ending the season with a win well, over Louisville. And, and, and Mark even said it tonight to us that the approach has changed when it comes yeah. to, you know, the bowl practices and things. And I think that's exactly what he was talking about is back then the important – sure, they would have loved to have won that game. Mark said it twice tonight that that was the most disappointing thing about the whole experience. But it was definitely more important to get those extra practices in and kind of work those guys hard through the holiday season and everything before the bowl. I don't think that's necessarily the thing now. I think winning the game is is – pretty much more important now than just the prep. It is, and this is going to be a different type of bowl game for Kentucky this year. The last four years you had a stable coaching staff, from what I can recall. Obviously, Eddie Grand was there for each of those bowl games, and Mark said tonight that uh, Vince Miro, tight ends coach and recruiting coordinator and a previous guest of Kentucky Daily, uh, he'll be more or less calling the shots, but it sounds like it's going to be a pretty big group effort. But 
because of that, Sean, I just almost feel like uh, I don't know what to make of this ball. Honestly, I think it's a good thing that they're playing in one. I mean, I'm happy for the kids that they wanted to do that and they're able to go to a bowl. I just don't. I just don't know what to take away with the results, though. Win or lose, I don't. I just how much do you think it really matters? I don't think it matters a ton. I, I think the one thing would be it, it gives you an opportunity to, to leave a good taste in the fan in the mouth of the fan base and the players and the locker room, the coaching staff. If they win it, it's it's good going into next year. If you lose it, you kind of just throw it out the window. I think the one thing you don't want is just to go get absolutely just destroyed yeah. or something or have an injury or something crazy happen that affects next season. But there, it's a it's kind of it's it's kind of a gift for everyone, isn't it? Where everyone's gone through the season, not just the players, not just the fans, but the media in itself. You you get to watch a bowl football game, you know, all these bowl games. The SEC filled just I think they did they fill every single bowl game that they had besides what happened with Birmingham. Um, that was the or I'm not sure. I, I know a couple of bowls that you that the SEC used to have an affiliation to. Uh, canceled like the Independence Bowl, but I think the Independence Bowl has been out of the rotation now. But I remember one year, I think it was 2017, there was some thought Kentucky might end up in the Independence Bowl, and that game used to be like on Christmas Eve or something, or right around Christmas, or maybe it was the day after Christmas. That might have been what it was. And uh, I remember from my perspective, I did not want Kentucky to go to that bowl just because it would have meant spending Christmas in Shreveport, Louisiana. No offense yeah. to the people down there. I've never been to Shreveport, but uh, just not where I wanted to spend my Christmas. But I do think – I mean, South Carolina at 2-8 and eight, accepted a bowl bid. So I've got to say Kentucky, or, uh, the SEC came pretty close to filling all of its spots. I mean, you're talking about a South Carolina team that uh, has a new coach kind of in transitioning, and uh, that's just going to be a weird bowl, I think, for them. But, yeah, it's going to be a different year for sure. Uh one other piece it's, of news, I thought. Or go ahead, Sean. Before we move on. Well, what I was going to say is, when you look at Kentucky, who did win four games in the SEC, Derek, I, I think they would have won at least two non-conference games had they played a, a full schedule. So this team was going, this team was going to a bowl game. When you talk about South Carolina, which definitely had different factors when it comes to opt out, opt outs, and everything at the end of the season, but going two and eight in the SEC, they would have had to beat Clemson in the non-conference <laughs> just to get a bowl game, which wasn't happening. So I think it's. It's one of those – I don't want to say it's a participation trophy type thing, but it, I think it's good that all these kids and these programs are getting an opportunity to, you know, kind of get rewarded for going through a season that was – that definitely wasn't normal. And it's an opportunity for Kentucky, Derek, the one positive thing, if, if you win it, you beat a top 25 team and you can kind of hang your hat onto that going into the spring. But if you lose it, I think you just use it as an opportunity just to get the guys out there and let – especially the senior class and – you know, send them off with another football opportunity. I know Landon Young and Drake Jackson, those guys, they have to be excited that they're getting one more chance to wear Kentucky blue. Yeah, no question about that. That's what I was about to go to. But uh, what you said kind of prompted something in my mind. You were talking about Ole Miss earlier for the Outback Bowl. Kentucky going to the Outback Bowl might have hinged on that game. <laughs> if they would have beaten Ole Miss, uh, of course, that was the, I think that was the one loss all season that you could really kind of look at and, but in Missouri as well to some extent, especially with Missouri getting crushed by Mississippi State yesterday. A um, couple of games here or there. Um, those are the two most obvious ones because those are teams you view to be uh, on Kentucky's level more or less, um, if not even on Ole Miss's level for the past few years. I mean, you might think Kentucky is a little bit better, uh, maybe than both those pro- uh, programs. But 
moving on to the point you were just talking about with London Young, Drake Jackson. Uh, Mark Stoops said tonight he expects the full roster to play. Of course, Kelvin Joseph was an opt-out. He didn't play against South Carolina, so obviously you wouldn't factor him into the bowl game anyway since he's already decided to leave. I, I, I wouldn't say I have mixed feelings on this because I do think it shows a strong culture. I, I just don't uh, – I don't know. Like, I do think it's something Kentucky should be proud of, no question about it. Probably more so the last few years with Lynn Bowden not opting out and then guys like Benny Snell and Josh Allen. I mean, guys who are and, – and even Mike Edwards and Lonnie Johnson really to that extent too because he knew all those guys were going to be draft picks, yet they still decided to play. Um I, I just don't view the guys who maybe do opt out, like a Kyle Pitts. Like, I mean, he's got no reason to play in a bowl game, so I don't view him as a quitter or anything. But I think that in terms of college football discussion has been uh, probably – I think people have kind of taken a step back on that. It's just kind of become part of college football. But, Sean, just in your opinion, what's it mean to, to have all these guys decide that they did want to play one more game? I think you hit on it when you said the culture. I think that's just the culture at Kentucky. You, you, you kind of don't want to be the guy that, you know, kind of sits out and says they don't want to play. And especially in a year like this where you know all these guys, Derek, they've sacrificed so much uh, every single week. We, we don't know the exact number of players that have had COVID on this team or everything that they've dealt with, but they've, they've gone through everything together. And it's kind of, for this team, it just feels like it's a little different where – you don't want to quit on your team. You want to be out there and walk off that field for the final time and going into the off season. And I just think too, when you're talking about the senior class, you're talking about Drake Jackson, Landon Young, you know, Kentucky kids who, even if they were probably the number one, number two draft pick, Derek, I don't think that they would have forfeited an opportunity to wear Kentucky across their chest one final time. So I, I definitely think it's good. I think it's exciting to see that all of them were out there. And, you know, Mark said it a hundred percent and, uh, I thought at first is like maybe somebody changed their mind. No, but it, it certainly sounds like everybody's out there and everybody's been out there at practice the last few days. So, uh, you know, kudos to them for navigating a season from start to finish and being there together in the end. Yeah, that's well said. I agree with you there. Um, if, unless you have anything else on football, we can move on to probably the bigger topic of the weekend. Uh, you got anything else to add before we move on to basketball? Better hope Vince Merrill doesn't put up 60 points in the bowl game or Liam Cohen's going to be looking for a job, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, you know Vince Merrill. I'm expecting 15 to 20 targets to the tight ends. Now, will those be completions? I don't know. But you know the tight end's going to have their number called if Merrill's in the, in the headset. Yeah, Merrill getting his chance uh, to call plays, obviously, for the first hey, time. Is this an audition for him? I thought about that a little bit. I mean, with his price tag, if he's going to be leaving, I think it's either going to be as a head coach somewhere or as an OC. I, I don't. I don't really know. I was trying to think of what I what I really thought of him doing that. I don't really view it much more as him just filling in, honestly. But for his, I mean, if the offense goes out there and looks way better than they have at any other point this season, then maybe he can kind of get his name thrown on some lists in the coming years. I don't know what Vince's aspirations are. I'm sure he wants to. Uh, eventually progress to that, but making 900000 a year to kind of be the face of recruiting seems like a pretty sweet gig to me. We should note, too, that this is Kentucky's fifth consecutive bowl game, which ties a school record, and it's the fifth consecutive for Mark Stoops, which is a U.K. record. Yeah. So uh, a lot's happened since that last time they were in Jacksonville, Derek. Uh, Mark Stoops certainly has done an excellent job with this program, even though they struggled this season and got to four and six. You can You can kind of put all that behind you. 
to an extent if you go win this game. I just think it's different for Kentucky. You mentioned South Carolina. You mentioned, you know, then Tennessee, three and seven. Like if Tennessee goes and wins the Liberty Bowl, does that fan base feel significantly better about their position as a program right now? Probably not. But I think it's a chance for Kentucky fans to kind of just uh, say, wow, this was an emotional roller coaster this season. But if, if you can compete, or look good, or win the win the game, then it certainly adds some buzz. Like look what the belt goal did last year. I mean, there was there was a ton of buzz going into this football season from that win alone. There was, and going back to the opt out thing real quick, and I wrote about that tonight, right before we started recording this, and I said, yeah, this team didn't have the Lynn Bowden or Benny Sneller, Josh Allen types, but and and for this team in its own right, I mean, they had to deal with. You know, you had the Chris Oates situation. You had John Schlarman passing away and then just trying to navigate a football season during a pandemic. That was the most unique uh, schedule in SEC football history probably. I can't think of any more challenging year than this one uh, that those kids had to go through. So uh, I am happy for them that they get to finish the season. Uh, win or lose, I mean, it's one more time, and I'll never turn down more football. I'll probably watch just about every bowl game that I can. Exactly. We we should do we'll do a bowl episode. I'm assuming with making all of our picks for each bowl game and and stuff like that to kind of cap off the season. Derek, I'll, I'll ask you this: Are you going to Jacksonville? No. Okay. I'll not be. I almost never get to spend New Year's with my uh, fiance, so I'll get to do that this year. Well, Last year I was, I was driving say, back from Charlotte on uh, New Year's Eve, made it home just uh, <laughs> a little after midnight, I think. I spent New Year's Eve in Charlotte last year. I was going to say, I'll be in Starkville that day for Kentucky basketball. That's going to be another one of those oh, yeah. double days where football will be uh, at noon, and then the basketball team will be at 6. So, Eric, it could be a good day. It could be a painful day. It could be a little bit of an in-between. But I honestly will say this. I think that it will be – I think most eyes will be on the football team. I think most of this fan base would tell you that right now that they're they're excited to watch that game. A couple of years ago in the Music City Bowl, it was Kentucky-Louisville basketball and Kentucky-Northwestern football, and it almost was a great day. So uh, I know Kentucky fans, it would be really, really good for this podcast if they won both those games that day. Yeah, I think it'd be good for everybody's psyche who listens to this. It'd be tough to... A chance to start 2021 off with the with a positive. That <laughs> certainly would be. would be a good start to the year. I thought 2020 was going to be a heck of a year after I spent it in New, uh, Charlotte last year, but uh, come to find out it's been pretty crappy. Well, yeah, well, we got to hope 2021 is a little bit better. If it's worse, then it's not good. But let's go ahead and move on to basketball. We uh, started touching on it right there. They'll be playing Mississippi State soon. And, I mean, they've only got one more non-conference game. That's against Louisville next week. We'll spend some time this week discussing that matchup, talking about that rivalry. Uh, but let's go back to Saturday, Sean. First of all, have you got a chance to rewatch it yet? I've watched bits and pieces. I watched the end and exactly, you know, kind of what went wrong there. With uh, just, I just wanted to go back and look at it and see and make sure I didn't miss anything with uh, Cameron Fletcher and stuff there on the bench with, you know, being a which he did tweet about bench all the way till the end. Uh, which, you know, UK come out and kind of confirmed last night in a tweet. Uh, Eric Lindsay sent that out. So I I haven't really got a chance to go back and watch the full game, but I I watched enough live and I was able to see enough, Derek, that fundamentals is really killing this team or lack thereof. It's uh, it's really hurting this team a lot, especially when it comes to foul trouble. 
and some things. Uh, David Sisk actually put up some really good videos today on Twitter just talking about there was one with Isaiah Jackson, how he picked up his third foul there early in the second half, and it was just because he was out of a stance, and then he tried to overcorrect himself, and he couldn't get in position, and he fouled. Uh, Olivier Saar, the play, I actually texted you this yesterday when he committed that final foul. I told you that he plays lazy at times, and that was a lazy defensive possession where he's sprinting back in transition and doesn't even fight for a position to get a, to get a defensive rebound, then he commits a foul. Things like that, are, they're little things, Derek, but when you do them over and over again, those little things become big things. And right now it's just a combined effort that a lot of guys are making fundamental mistakes. And I just – this team's just not good enough to overcome that. You texted me yesterday that it just feels like – doesn't even really feel like it. We know it. This team kind of has to have everything fall into place right now to be good and win basketball games. And if that's, that's a very thin margin for error right now with the many mistakes that this Kentucky team has. Yeah, it was um, a bit of an interesting game because Kentucky started off 8 for 10 from the field, built an 11-point lead pretty early in that contest, and uh, there were some things to feel good about there, but um, probably but plenty. Why does, Go ahead. why does Davion Mintz come out of the game there in that situation? You, you get off to a hot start, and this isn't just because of our, our buddy Trey who calls in and sends in, or sends in things to the mailbag, and he actually asked that question the other day. But I don't understand that. Uh, that's the one part of the game I want to go back and watch is Mintz is on a hot streak there, and he goes to the bench. And I don't know if that's a part of a normal rotation, but Derek, in my experience as a coach and just knowing the game of basketball, if someone's kind of being your catalyst and getting you the hot hand, why take him out at any point? It's like a running back when you just keep yeah. feeding him. Uh, that, that didn't make sense to me because I feel like that once that move was made, that was the one guy that really started out fast yesterday. Uh, he closed the game versus Notre Dame in a strong way. And I, I just didn't think that even to, to take him out of the game, just like in a situation if you're playing and you're on a run, you don't want to call a timeout and, you know, kill that momentum. Uh, that, that was a little bit puzzling to me. I still think that Cal's having a hard time, and that's this isn't really criticism. I still think he's trying to figure out what the heck is going on and what he wants to do, but I still think he's having a hard time when it comes to rotation. Now, foul trouble significantly affected that yesterday, but I just didn't think that made any sense there early in the game. Yeah, I mean, if you go by the numbers, Mintz was, he was their best player yesterday. 17 points, 8 rebounds. Um, he had three threes there in the first half, like you're talking about, to really get them going. Um, yeah, what I wanted to talk about, just a point of emphasis, we're six games in, not a huge sample size, but it's not nothing at the same time. Uh, bad grammar there on my part, but oh well. Uh, Saar, so I want to talk about Olivier Saar. 22.7 boards against Notre Dame, comes back yesterday, doesn't even attempt a shot from the field. Uh, he gets both of his points from the free throw line, and he has more fouls and rebounds, four fouls. Um, and or sorry, five fouls and four boards. So three turnovers as well in 18 minutes. The kid played 18 minutes. And when you factor in that Isaiah Jackson played even fewer minutes than him and also fouled out, I just thought it was a truly terrible day from the bigs, but at least with Jackson and Ware, who Ware actually played a pretty good game for his standards, actually gave him some pretty solid minutes. But I think you see the point I'm trying to get at is uh, you've got a senior in Sar who you're going to need to be one of the best players on this team, and he's been a no-show a few times this season. He, he has, and that, that's why 
I plan on going back and watching this game. I, I'm going to try to find it on YouTube or something tonight and watch the full clip of it because I want to know was it they didn't give Sar the ball or was it just he was just, you know, it's not a factor at all. Darren, uh, I, will, I will say this. This isn't criticizing. He was third team all ACC last year. Uh, that is correct, right? Third team yeah, all ACC, right. if I'm not mistaken. So, it's not like Kentucky brought in a first-team or second-team All-ACC caliber player. They brought in a third-team guy, which isn't bad. That's that's an all-league guy. But he had some really good games last year, 30 against Notre Dame, 25 against Duke. Him being named to the third team tells me that these inconsistencies were, were there last year as well, uh, which when you go back and look, foul trouble has impacted him his entire career. I think that that has kind of prevented him from reaching – uh, a point to where he is in a first-team all-league guy. And depending on whether it be the ACC or the SEC, that's going to be the one thing that I think that kind of limits him this season. Derek, I'm starting to wonder, though, if he's a guy that Kentucky can actually play through. I'm starting to think that he's not just because he's going to be up and down. You actually asked me after the Notre Dame game, do I expect him to go get 22 every night? And I said no, but I expected B.J. Boston to kind of you know be better and things like that. But I'm starting to wonder who this team goes to. Who's their guy that they're going to play through? Because right now they have – I can't give you one because they're all inconsistent. B.J. Boston's their leading scorer still, and he hasn't shot well in any game this season, which is a problem. Yeah, it is. I mean, he went over three yesterday from three. The team as, as a whole shot very bad from three. It's 23%. Only he shot... was knocking off – sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying they only shot five in the second half altogether. So they went three for 13, and they really weren't taking too many threes. But Boston had some good well, looks and just didn't knock he them did. And he was knocking on the door. I texted you this yesterday. He was on his way to a 20-point double-double. And it should have been. There, there there was no way after that first half that he had and everything that it shouldn't have been a 20-point double-double. And then he, I think he faded and finished with maybe seven rebounds and what? How many points did he have? 15? Yep, 15, maybe. seven boards. So that that definitely should have been a 20-point double-double because he had – how many points did he have at the half? It was double figures. Well, I, I know he had at least five or six rebounds. I can look so it up. So just, right uh, just completely non-existent in the second half. And that I texted you that in the first half, and then I even tweeted right there around the half that I, I'm still believing that he's going to be a very good player at Kentucky this season. But at some point – you know, this believing you have to start seeing something from him. And he he's definitely missing a lot of shots there that I've that I just – I'm surprised that he's missing. They're open threes. It's not like they're contested, which he did take a couple of bad shots yesterday as well. Just fundamentals. There was a play where he didn't settle for a shot in transition and he got to the rim and got fouled and missed both free throws. But he tried to finish it with his right hand, which allowed it to pretty much the shot to not get above the rim because the defender got a hand on the ball as well. That's that's the fundamentals I'm talking about. That has to be a left-handed finish, and then it's possibly a three-point play. Just the, those attention to details, Kentucky's certainly lacking right now. Yeah, not just Boston. I mean, I think the team as a whole is just not efficient at all. Um, just looking at some of the shooting numbers, Boston's 5 for 14. He plays 35 minutes. Clark was bad, too, 3 for 11. Uh, I mean, you've even got a guy yesterday like Jacob Toppin taking six shots, which is way too many for him. He went one for six. I mean, really, Mintz was about – Mintz and Askew. I'll, I'll tip my hat to Askew. I thought it was probably his best game of the season yesterday. Yeah. He um, did a really good job defensively, stuck his nose in there on some rebounds. And 
when you're talking, he gets to the line a lot too. He shot eight free throws, top for the team lead. So he was getting to the rim. Uh, when you talk about guys, I mean, if you're looking for anybody to feel kind of good about, it's both those guards. I think Manson and Askew, and you know, I, you know, I, if, you're right though. If if Mintz is kind of the guy that you have to play through this year, like because at this point, would you agree Mintz is their best player right now? He's their best player right now. He's, and that's fine. I mean, he was a solid player at Creighton. You know, he was a starting point guard on you know, decent teams. I wouldn't say they were very, very, very good teams at Creighton, but I consider Big East basketball these days to be high major basketball. I don't know what they technically – maybe they're still considered mid-majors. I mean, you can, last year the Big East was definitely better than the SEC, so it's not like they're playing bad basketball over there. Um, but 17-8 and eight from him, and maybe he had a little edge yesterday because he was playing his home state school, and he's a Charlotte kid, so – playing against them, but I, I just uh, – what you're saying about Boston I think is a good point because we can keep talking about his potential, and at times he shows it. I mean, he had a, a mid-range over a guy yesterday. He had a shot when he got fouled. He shows it here and there, but I just don't know how consistent he's going to be this year, Sean. I just wonder if he might be one of those guys that it just never really clicks he, to the point where you think it was going to is what I'm trying to say for a top-five kid. He, he has a bright future in the game of basketball, Derek, but I just don't know if it's bright at Kentucky, if that makes sense at all. Yeah, Because um, I, I, I do think that he's a very skilled player. I think he has a lot to learn, of course. I think he's behind uh, the progress of what a lot of guys were at this Kentucky that we kind of build superstars before the season started. But let's also say this. The reason why we – we think that B.J. Boston is so good is because he never shot away from it either. And some of those preseason interviews when he's talking about being the best player, you know, to play this game, which is what every player is going to say. But when you go on national TV and you say that you're in a a telecast, you're kind of setting yourself up to you better perform. And I'm not knocking him because I still think he has he has many opportunities to still do it. Uh, It's a long season. I I think he will get better as the season goes along. I, I do think that he's capable, Derek, of being an 18 to 19 point scorer. I, I really think that 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 is that he's capable of that, but what you want to see is if that was an efficient fourteen point five points per game, we'd be having a different conversation right now. But that's the thing that's killing BJ Boston is he's not efficient right now in any aspect of the game. Uh, he has those, those numbers have to improve. Uh, you don't want to be taking fifteen if you're taking fourteen fifteen shots a game, you're finishing with thirteen fourteen points. That's not a very good stat line. No, it's not. Uh couple other topics I wanted to hit on. Can't ignore uh, the postgame stuff, which you, you you mentioned it earlier. It was corrected on the Terrence Clark stuff. That that was a, a mistake uh, to say he left the bench because he didn't. Something weird did happen there at the end, but it sounds like he did stay. And then you have the deal with Cameron Fletcher apparently crying I'll, on the bench. He did. I'll tell you why everybody thought that Clark left the bench. Lance Ware stood up. I did go back and watch this. Lance Ware stood up when that started happening with Fletcher. Uh, Rob Harris came up and, you know, grabbed the towel. I don't know if you got to see it or not, Derek. It was about two minutes to on the game, and they were showing Davion Mintz on the camera. And in the background, it caught Fletcher, and he was in focus, and he was crying, and there's Harris trying to, you know, comfort him, and there's Lance Ware. So when Lance stands up, you lose sight of Terrence Clark behind him in his seat. And that's, I think that's what led to, and you, you can sort of see Cal went down and said something to Terrence Clark. They were kind of having an exchange there with a minute and a half to play. And then that's when you lost sight of Terrence. But then he was there for the final minute of the game. and was still actually sitting in his chair when the game ended. 
but the Fletcher stuff, it, it, it threw me off because I was trying to figure out what, you know, what's going on. Like, th- this isn't a good look. When, and, you know, you and Harris did the right thing. Uh, you don't want to see an 18, 19-year-old kid. You don't want that to be seen on TV crying. So he tries to grab a towel, but that's actually what kind of caught my attention was when you see the, the strength and conditioning coach back there grabbing a towel and putting it on a player's face. I'm like, what in the world's going on? Uh, but Fletcher did tweet about that this morning, and he did apologize. I, Derek, I don't really know if he needs to apologize. I think that emotions are a big part of it. It's not like he come out and said anything bad or anything. We don't, we don't necessarily know exactly what that situation was. Cal said that he was a little disappointed with his minutes, but I can say this too, though. When you go from you started you started game number two and then your minutes have kind of gone the other direction on a roster that's making a ton of mistakes, it's not easy for these kids. This, I mean, all these kids were their best player on their high school team, and it's got to be hard. I'm not making up excuses for them, uh, but I did think it was good for him to come out, and I thought it showed a lot of maturity what he said there today on Twitter and that note that, you know, that they want to get this right and that he was sorry and everything like that. But uh, definitely, it's definitely concerning that it, it seems like that this thing is kind of falling apart at the seams right now. And when you have that going on in the final two minutes of a game, like I said, I have no idea what it was about. I can kind of figure it out. He made a huge critical mistake when Kentucky was down six on his final possession that he played when, uh, they got the basket and the foul off an offensive rebound. He hedged hard on a ball screen and then kind of just got lost and re- reattaching to the big. And then he just got just absolutely manhandled when he lost position. And the North Carolina big finished the end one and Kentucky was down nine. And I know I'm assuming Cal said something to him there. Uh, it's tell him what Cal said, but I'm sure emotions were high and everything. And I, I'm assuming that's what led to it. Yeah, one other thing from the post game, uh, Keon Brooks, who hasn't played at all this season, we all know that, more or less said he had to handle the, and UK basically confirmed this, that he had to handle, I'll say had, he had to, because apparently no one else wanted to do their media obligations. And most years, I mean, it would be, I think, two kids at a podium is what it is for road games, and then, of course, three at home. This year, though, with it being on Zoom, schools can kind of, do whatever they want, I guess. And they've only been having one player speak after games. And uh, I, I thought it was a mistake on UK's part to send him. I understand that the kid said he wanted to do it, but I just it put Keon in a bad spot, I thought. And we can say props to Keon. I mean, I, I do think he deserves some some kind of credit. Uh, but at the same time, Sean, I mean, how do you not send Davion Mintz out there? <laughs> the kid scored 17 points, had eight rebounds. I think he yeah. was fine handling, uh, handling media responsibilities. But – so that kind of – it was just – on a day already where you start one and five for the first time in almost 100 years, like it's just more stuff people talk about that's just like so unnecessary. And that was kind of the weird thing about the Calipari part with Clark is he more or less – like when Kyle Tucker asked him that question, he was like – you know, Eric Lindsay said that he didn't know. And the way, the way he answered, he was just trying to answer a question. Well, when Cal answers it the way he does, like he's more or less confirming it. So I just thought it was kind of a rough day. Uh like it kind of became a sideshow besides just the game. You had other stuff that was happening besides that. And, uh, and as far as I know, Derek, I don't think anyone from us, as far as media was there yesterday. Yeah. I don't, I don't, like, I, I don't know anyone that was in the building. So if someone had been in the building, they maybe could have had a, a view of what was going on on the sideline. But yeah, you're right. Uh, the Keon situation, I said it 
yesterday that it's good and bad. It's good because Keon wanted to step up and be that leader. And that's something that, you know, those guys in the locker room are kind of going to look to him. And I'm, I'm assuming that I like it. But then again, I don't like it just because I feel like that it's being a bad teammate on the other end. Uh, you kind of send a guy, you send a guy out there that hasn't played a minute all season who's battling an injury right now. And honestly, that's what it became. Derek was questioned about Keon. I mean, there were two or three questions about him and put him in that situation when he didn't even go out there and play. So it's, it's good and bad. I, I feel like that somebody from UK that played yesterday, even though that they struggled, should have said, Hey, I'll go do it. I'll talk about it. Uh, also, I'll say this. I feel like that it's, it needs to be Cal going first, Derek, instead of a player coming out there and answering all the initial questions. I just feel like that Cal, in a year like this, I, I actually wouldn't mind if Cal came out with the player. Yeah. Well, I'll say this, and this is where I probably am going to be the most pointed, and people might say, oh, you're just a media guy, and you guys all get salty whenever, blah, 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 whatever people say about the media. You can't have a no-excuse program. That can't be your slogan. You can't have the built different, all this stuff like that, and then duck the media. All the players decide they just don't want to do it when they start off one and five. And like I said, it's one player. Like, man, I don't think we had any problem coming out. I know they claim that Keon just really wanted to do it. Nobody else did. I'm not going to criticize any individual kid. I mean, it, it is what it is. I'm sure they all are upset. But that, do you, you get what I'm saying? Like, don't have that be your messaging that you don't – uh, it's no excuses. You work hard for everything. And because, I mean, if your whole messaging is NBA based, well, next year when three of these kids still go pro off of this team, like there won't be any duck in the media after a game. And that's just, it's not even about like, it is what it is. Like Keon was fine for a post game. Like the answers he gave, it was fine. It's just, I don't like that that's their messaging. And then they more or less let them off the hook whenever things start to go bad. That's just, that's just my opinion on it. Some people, might not care, might disagree. It is what it is. Um, about the things Cal did say, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever, and obviously they've not been one in five before under him, or really ever since, you know, like I said, 1927. He just looked so dejected yesterday. Like, I think he might be running out of answers, Sean. I just don't think that he really knows. Uh, to me, it looked, it looked like a guy who knew that they're, at some point, they're probably going to look better this year, but they're not really contending for anything this season, I don't think. And I think that's starting to set in for him. Yeah, it's it's been a long year. You know, he, he signed a lifetime lifetime contract a little over a year ago, Derek. And now we're to the point that how much of this life is this year taken off of him because he just looks like he's just beaten down right now. And, I mean, I hate to see it. I hate to see any coach in that spot, but especially in a year like this. But – that's a guy that I just don't know if he has answers right now. I, I I will say this. I don't think the Terrence Clark thing at point guard, I'm not ready to entirely write it off, but I don't know how effective it's going to be, and here's why. I don't know if you ever go through and look at some of the likes that these that these kids have and stuff on their on Twitter. I, I probably shouldn't, but when it pops up on my timeline and stuff, then it's easy to see it. Well, Jeff Goodman – tweeted I'll try to find it and send it to to you or something but it was a week and a half ago and it was something about Terrence Clark not being a point guard and Terrence Clark actually and it wasn't criticizing it was more saying that he's two guard or three guard and Terrence Clark liked it (laughs) which kind of makes me wonder and it wasn't liking it like some people might say well he was liking it as you know motivation no he wasn't you're screenshotting that you're not liking it 
which makes me wonder if maybe even Terrence Clark doesn't think, man, dude, why am I running the one? I didn't come to Kentucky to play the one. I came to Kentucky to play the two or the three because that's probably what I'm going to do in the NBA. So that was concerning to me, Derek, because when I saw that. But you did mention Devin Askew earlier, and I do want to praise Devin Askew because I feel like that yesterday he looked more confident, and I think that he's a guy that you can kind of see that's going to get better as the year goes along. I actually think that by the time they get into middle of SEC play that he's going to be a reliable guy. I, I feel like that yesterday he played to his strengths. Uh, he played fundamental basketball. He was coming to a jump stop, making some decisions. I thought he did an excellent job getting the ball by the hip of his defender and, a, and finished attacks. That's something that he hadn't been doing, and it made him look really slow in the first four games because he would have a guy beat, and then he would just go behind his back and, and pull up. And then there's just uh, – he wasn't putting teammates or himself in the position to be successful. But that – does that tweet – that I'm talking about, though, I'll just see if I can find it while we're still on here and send it to you. Is that, plus that, what do you think if you if you were me seeing that yesterday? I mean, whenever you said that, it, it got me thinking about, Cal talks a lot about the, I think he calls it clutter, that are around players. And he's all the time talking about people who are in those kids' ears. And that just kind of made me think that, that uh, I think what you said was probably spot on, that he didn't come to Kentucky to be a point guard. Now, at a certain point, if you're a team player, you'll do whatever it takes to help the team win and all that stuff. But with the start that they're off to, I, I, I yeah, I, I think it's probably a little bit concerning. I wanted to go back to ask you though. He he seems to me, Sean, someone like the problem for him is like everything gets magnified when you're as bad as Kentucky is right now. But like, I think he's a if he sticks around here and develops, like he's a solid player. I think he's a solid a solid college basketball player, but he's not going to be. I don't think he's going to be anywhere near one of Cal's best point guards, basically is what I'm trying to say. I mean, we already see that this year. They're trying to play other guys there instead. But, like, I think just because he's not that kind of guy, though, he can still help your team, I think, in a lot of ways. And that's good to have. So, even next year, like, if, if he's, like, a off-the-guard type kind of guy who just plays good defense, and I want to see him shoot some more threes. Uh, he's passing those up. And I want to see him take a few more because I think he'll really have a role on this he, team if he can do that. But I don't see him ever kind of – he hit one yesterday that didn't ball. count, remember? Yeah. yeah. That that was going to be a big shot had it got to that point. And I think you're spot on with him. But I'll say this. He's not going to be one of the, hit the best point guards that Cal's had. But I'll tell you this, Derek. I think he is a very important piece for the Kentucky basketball program, especially for a program that, I'll, I'll say it, it, it's in need of a change, not a head coaching change. It's need of – it's in need of a culture change when it comes to approach with how the yeah. roster is filled out. Here's going to be the problem. If you're struggling and you're one in five and you get 85 to 90% of these kids back next year, then it, it's okay. It, it's, it's certainly not acceptable at a place like Kentucky, but at least that you can say, Hey, we got most of these guys back next year should be better. You'll have some experience, but if you lose, let's say four of these guys in the NBA and you lose SAR and all these other guys, what was this year for? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And I wanted to try to phrase that some way to Cal. But, and actually, the mood he was in yesterday, he might have actually answered it. it was like he was in such a bad, such a depressed mood that he was actually answering questions instead of like hammering on the point. Which and, is and I will say. Very different for him. <laughs> it is. And I'll say this, too. I, I made this comment on the pregame show that we did for the North Carolina game that I just – I wasn't sure what Lance Ware's impact was going to be in Kentucky beyond this season. I hadn't really seen anything from him to make me think that he was like a Kentucky caliber kid. But yesterday 
I think you got to see exactly how he can impact games, Derek. And I feel like that there's some potential there as he develops. He's he's physical. He plays hard. I thought he had the right attack yesterday. He came up big for them when others were in foul trouble. And then and then Devin Askew. Those are two important guys for this program that they don't just need to be. Look, look, I'm going to say it. Devin Askew's not one and done. I don't think Devin Askew's going to be two and done. Uh, they're very important two seasons from now, Derek, that those two guys are still in your program. I think those could be very, very good college basketball players that will have a chance to play professionally if they stay within the program. Yeah, and I thought, going back to Fletcher, I thought that was a good sign today, that he, at least it seems like a kid on the surface that is willing to kind of grow and tough things out, I guess, when things aren't going too well right now. And that'll be a big step because, I mean, you saw not much further in the season last year. I mean, in terms of games, yeah, it was different. I think, what, Whitney opted out in January, probably like, January, it was the weekend of the Texas Tech game. He opted yeah, out. 25th. So he just decided to bail. Um, I mean, I wouldn't, I'd be lying if I told you that some opt-outs hadn't crossed my mind for this team. <laughs> some guys who want to go to the NBA anyway, well, poorly they're playing in the COVID year, I kind of thought someone might bail out. But maybe it won't happen. I'll, I'll say this. My, my biggest problem yesterday, and I'm a big Cal supporter. Uh, I, I love Cal. I love uh, how he motivates. I love a lot of the things that he says. But a lot of times it's, it's kind of, you know, he, he has some BS to him, just like every head coach does. But the one thing that I didn't agree with yesterday, was his take on why Dante Allen's not playing. There, at some point, the guys that are missing shots, you got if, if Dante's capable of hitting shots, he needs to be on the floor right now. That's what I'll say. When you're one and five, I don't think you can keep saying, well, guys are ahead of him. They kind of need that slack. They need that room to to do things. No, no, they don't. When you're one, if you're five and one, you can say that, but if you're one and five, you're trying like hell to do everything you can to fix it. Right now, I don't know where Dante Allen fits into this program when it comes to what Cal's doing. Cal, I hated the whole, you be ready when, and you'll get your chance and you'd be ready for that approach. I, I just hate that as a coach because it's hard for kids to see, uh, especially at a place like Kentucky. And I just feel like that that's a kid you don't want to run out of your program. I think that's a kid that could be here long term. And, uh, that that was the one thing yesterday in that presser that really that really bothered us. I just don't feel like anybody else has done an upper has done anything to to put Dante so far down the list. Like he was here, even though he had the injury, he was here last year. I felt like he deserves an opportunity. Now, if he struggles and you give him ten to twelve minutes, the minutes that Jacob Toppin and some of these other guys are getting, and he struggles, then fine. I think the fan base would hush about. it. I think I would hush about it, but. I want to see what he can do. And right now they're struggling to score the basketball. And yesterday when they put him in with the medical play, I was like, my God, that's a slap in the face. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like, that's what you're saying is true, I think. Like, it's a one-in-five team. I don't – has anyone really done that much to guarantee? I thought his answer was weird. He's like, oh, yeah, I could have played him today if I wanted to, but just didn't. And said he needed to stay ready. But it just confirms to me that, like – and it's fine if you think B.J. Boston's just like he needs to play because he's better. Like, I totally get that. I, I doubt you're not find too many people arguing that B.J. Boston is not better than Dante Allen. But uh, when he's struggling that bad, it's hard to see how he doesn't just get a few minutes in there. And But he just kind of seems like someone trying to – I just don't think Cal thinks is very good anyway. And I hate to be that blunt about well, it. But, like, I mean, as soon as he makes three turnovers at Georgia Tech, like Cal mentions it in the postgame. And I just feel like he's – um. 
I don't know. I just don't think that he sees much of a spot for – obviously he doesn't see much of a spot for Dante right now because he's not playing. He's the only guy on the doesn't roster it, who's not playing. Doesn't it contradict your, your approach as a program, though, and what you say in recruiting and all this stuff, and you say it all the time? It does, that, yeah. That you get to a situation to where you have to fight for everything in Kentucky and nothing's going to be handed to you, but yet these guys, have, they're not taking advantage of opportunities. I just – my thing is, is if, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying it's to just – It's obvious that some guys have a longer leash than others. And I don't even think it's like a bad thing to say. As a, I mean, I just wish he would come out and kind of say it more than well, – And I get it. Like it's, it's weird how you handle things in public, like what you say. But, uh, I mean, I think people would be full. And it's every year there's like someone who kind of fits that role that people ask why they're not playing. And I don't know. Did you see Jamal Baker at like eight threes again last well, night? Well, that's what I was going to say. And, and I know – I have people in my mentions that are telling me to stop. I have people in my DMs tell me, why do I keep bringing up Johnny Juzang, Jamal Baker, uh, Adam Kunkel today hits a game winner and has 22 points for Xavier against a good Marquette team. I'm not bringing those up as a slap in the face. I'm, I'm saying it just because Adam Adam Kunkel wanted an offer and he wouldn't be on this Kentucky team right now had he had one, Eric. I'm not saying that he would be the savior, but he definitely would help Kentucky with the one thing that they struggle with right now, which is shooting the basketball and on the offensive side. Everybody has their defensive struggles, but right now Kentucky needs to put the ball in the basket. That's why they're not winning games. Uh, Jamal Baker, he wasn't playing over anybody on that team with P.J. Washington. Uh, he was averaging, what, maybe nine, I think it was 9.1 minutes per game that season. Derek, he wasn't playing over Emmanuel quickly. He wasn't playing over Ashton Hagens. Any of those guys in the top eight. Right now is where you need Jamal Baker. You need a Jamal Baker on this team. You didn't need him on that team. He wasn't playing over Tyrese Maxey and you know, Emmanuel Quickly and, and Ashton Higgins last year, but he would have played over Johnny Juzang. Johnny Juzang probably wouldn't even been at Kentucky if you still had Jamal Baker. This is the year where you need those kids because I think Jamal Baker could have been a very good player at Kentucky for this year and next year. I think that's where it hurts is when you lose those kids who who you really need in those gap years where you kind of had a lot of turnover, like more turnover than what you typically would. Yeah, and like maybe it'll turn out that Allen's just not very good. I think it's at this point it's hard to say which way his career might go just because we've not really seen him. But, like, you're giving Dante Allen no incentive to come back and try to develop here, though, if you refuse to play no. him on a bad team. It, and it might not mean that much to Cal right now, but two years from now, it might. And you're never going to get out of this cycle of kids like Dante Allen keep leaving. No, and, and there were a lot of teams, Derek, that actually wanted Dante Allen, that the offers never went public and stuff there towards the end. And it became a, if you can, if you commit to Kentucky, if you don't commit to Kentucky on your visit, then you, you have a spot with us. I know Michigan was in play there, I've heard, and some other programs. I know Purdue and Matt Painter really wanted Dante Allen. I, I feel like that that Dante Allen is a good college basketball player. And it's going to be one of those things that if he can just stick with it and get through the hard times right now with not getting to play. Uh, he tweeted last week, you know, I mean, you talked about it on this podcast, that it, it, it was pretty much – I've kind of interpreted it as he was getting back in the gym and going to work. I do know that as soon as they got back last night, Derek, that he spent a lot of hours in the craft center last night, all, all the way late into the night. I, I did talk to somebody – uh, close with them, and, and I found that out. So his mindset isn't to just tuck and hide. His mindset is to get in the gym and get an opportunity. And I think if things keep going the way they are, which would be a bad thing, but I certainly think at some point Cal kind of has to 
give him an opportunity and put you you have to put these kids out there and see what they can do I, I know it from a coaching perspective there's some kids that they look like they can't do a thing in practice but then when you get in that game mode and it's you know fighter fly it's just they perform and who knows until you put him in there and let him have a chance I just don't think you're really going to know about Dante Allen. Certainly, Cal had enough confidence to call uh, the final play of the game against Kansas for him with the Iverson cut. So if you have the confidence to <laughs> to do that, then I think you should probably be planning. Just yeah. just give him a look. That's all I'm asking. Is just uh, This isn't some plead for me to see Dante Allen on the floor. I have no personal affiliation with Dante Allen or, or what happens. But I just think that given a roster that has nine guys struggling right now, what the hell does it do to have a 10th guy struggling? Yeah, and here's the quote that Cal had uh, on Dante Allen. He said, I could have done it today, but I'm giving these guys that are in front of him the room that they need to be able to miss shots to see. Because we go and practice, they miss shots. They make shots, excuse me, so they make shots. They ain't making them in the game. So you try to give them the room and encourage them to shoot. What Dante needs to do is just stay ready so when his opportunity comes, bang, he takes advantage of it. So, I mean, he's basically confirming to you there that, I mean, B.J. Boston's missing a plenty of shots. It's, there's no question about that. He's missing plenty of shots every single game. Uh, I don't know. It's funny timing that we're talking about this. I just saw a guy who writes for KSR tweet about how he doesn't care at all about players leaving, and he mentioned Jamal Baker and guys like that uh, because he says they weren't good enough to play at Kentucky. So um, They were. If they're good enough to play at Arizona, they're good enough to play at Kentucky. And I mean, I guess my bottle to that would be, like, this team's one and five, so how many of these kids do you think are good enough to play at UK? I just don't really get the I, – I just think that there's that there's a – you've got to have a place in this program for players like Jamal Baker. I'm, I'm not saying Jamal Baker's a savior, and certainly Jamal Baker ended up making the decision that was best for his career because it's worked out. It worked out for Charles Matthews. It worked out for Kyle Wilcher. It's worked out for a lot of guys. I think it's working out for Quad A Green. He's getting his opportunity at Washington. Sometimes there's a such thing as a bad fit, but then there's sometimes there's a situation, Derek, where I think as a coach, every coach is stubborn to some extent. I think Cal would be the first to admit to you that he's stubborn to some extent. Uh, Roy Williams is stubborn. Mike Krzyzewski is stubborn. it's hard to not be when you're making decisions, when the, you're making decisions for more than one person, you're making it for 14, 15 guys and every assistant coach over there. I just think that if you're recruiting a guy to come in, I just feel like that in today's college basketball world, every kid wants an opportunity to play. And I feel like a lot of these guys in Kentucky, they really haven't had their opportunity to do what they, to do what they want. Now, I did come out. It was kind of uh eye-opening yesterday that as soon as Kentucky loses in a game where they struggled to score in the second half, Johnny Juzang starts the game off with six points and hits three shots. Now, I will say this, Johnny Juzang is three for 16 from the three-point line this season at UCLA, so that's not really helping Kentucky. But I, I just feel like that you gotta, there's got to be some guys in this program, Derek, that make it to year three and four if you're ever wanting to kind of change the way you're doing things. Because right now, this approach to starting all over and stuff, it, it's just not working out anymore. It's not. I mean, you would think Dante Allen's a poster child for a kid who you would expect to stick around. So, you know, some of these guys you could say, well, they're, you know, Baker and, and Juzang were both West Coast kids. So, you know, they got to go closer to home once they left. Well, Allen, I mean, he is home. So there's really nowhere for him to go back to in terms of, uh, you know, he's not going to have any bigger schools in Kentucky back home calling them. You know what I mean? So, He's kind of the ideal kid you'd want to stick around. So we'll see if he does. And if he 
he goes away, I just don't know if there's, there's – I mean, I, I think off this team, though, like, I know they're going to leave anyway just because they're draft stock. I'm sure their minds are made up. But, like, you know Boston and, and Clark are going to leave and probably Jackson as well. So you better hope that you get Ware, Fletcher, Askew, uh, Brooks even at this point, and then top oh. in, and, of course, uh, Allen as well. I mean, I, I'd include Allen in that mix too. He's just a redshirt freshman. So, I mean, you don't want him to go anywhere. Well, here here's my take on it. And people may disagree. You're you're at a place like Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky's Kentucky, Derek. It's prestigious for a reason. It's been it's been a solid program for a century. Uh, they win national championships. They go to Final Fours. They go to Elite Eights. They produce pros. It, at some point, it needs to be okay to be a junior and senior at Kentucky for some players. For for players that have. Their hope just to be to just to be a veteran bench player on an NBA roster. Like it just doesn't make any sense to leave after a year or two and go to the, the G League and then end up in Europe. I know every situation is different for every kid, and we're in no situation to tell these kids what they should do. But I think as a program, I think that's the thing that you want to see at some point is that it's okay to be at Kentucky and be a three-year player like Nick Richards did. Look at the approach that he took, Derek, and it worked out for him. Now he's on an NBA roster. Uh, I just think that that's the key to changing. And I think Cal has recruited some kids that should be those guys, like the Johnny Juzangs, the Jamal Bakers. Uh, You don't see these guys rushing out the door at other places in college basketball, but for some reason at Kentucky – it kind of feels like that there. It's not just the program where you, if you don't, if you're not good enough to make it to the league after one year, it's or am I good enough to get minutes over the other crop of guys that are coming in, and that's a, that's a real problem. I think these guys need to feel like that they have a role and a place on this in this program. Yeah, I mean, there's no question. I don't think this will be the last time um, we talk about this, but we've probably run this thing long enough tonight, Sean. It's uh, you want to go ahead and give the plug to uh, the Butcher's Pub. Yeah, and right before I do that, I want to say this. I, I'm in no way saying that John Calipari should lose his job as head coach in Kentucky. I, I just think that there there comes a time where you have to kind of adapt. And Derek, I think Cal's been a guy that he's adapted to college basketball. He's done with the one and done. I'm not rolling out that Cal can adapt, but it comes to a point to where uh, you have to be committed to it and maybe – just maybe we're kind of reaching a turning point in the program to where you kind of ha- where he kind of has to. Uh, but yeah, as always, this episode has been brought to you by the Butchers Pub, Derek. They're so excited to be back in business. I've seen them on their Facebook page, uh, tweeting out that they're open till midnight now. And uh, both locations, Palmville and Williamsburg, Kentucky. I recommend you to follow both those pages on Facebook. They're two entirely different pages because they have different specials going on. Uh, for each location. So visit thebutcherspub.com or check them out on Facebook. Uh, we don't know what the schedule will be like with be like this week. Certainly we have Christmas Eve and Christmas coming up. There's a big game with Kentucky Louisville Derek. So I'm assuming that we will do some episodes this week. We will talk we might even go back and talk about the history of this rivalry or or something like that. I'm thinking about getting someone on from the Louisville perspective, a former Louisville player or something and seeing if we can have a, have an episode like that. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. No, I think that'd be a good thing. Uh, I could definitely find some people, at least one person probably who would come on here and give some perspective. I do think we need to dig into kind of the history of it all. And I know Louisville plays one more game. They play Tuesday. At least they're supposed to play Tuesday against Pittsburgh, I believe. But Jeff Capel uh, tested positive for COVID. I don't I don't really know where things stand for that game. But uh, 
obviously it's an important game, Sean, but we'll have all week to kind of talk about it and uh, maybe talk a little bit more football too. There's not going to be any media, I don't think. And of course, we got Christmas coming up this week too. So, uh, and, and we'll we are working, and we are working on getting Liam going on the podcast yeah. too. So that that might be something, Derek, that pops up here in the first couple of days of the week. I'm going to check back on that and see if we got anywhere with that uh, that request. Yep. Well, Sean, let's go ahead and end it there. It's uh, been another episode of Kentucky Daily. We thank you for joining us, and thank you, Sean, for making time on your trip to Chicago. So we'll be back uh, some other time this week, maybe tomorrow. We'll have to see kind of what happens. But he's Sean Smith. I'm Derek Terry, and this is Kentucky Daily. We'll catch you next time. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.